Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Dave Briggs, home in Connecticut. Ross Tucker, home in Pennsylvania. And Russell Wilson is off to an MVP type of start with the Seattle Seahawks, making all the right throws and also making just about every perfect decision. He gives much of that credit. To his mental conditioning expert or mental conditioning coach, Trevor Moad. And Trevor joins us now. He's also the author of It Takes What It Takes. Trevor, good to see you, my friend. It's Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker. Please explain well, Dave, to man, us. I feel like uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing early start with you, huh? <laughs> this, is, this, is bright, bright, this is bright and early out here on the West Coast. But uh, no, it's a pleasure to join uh, both you and Ross. So thanks so much for having me on this morning. It is an early start for you out there on the left coast. We appreciate the early hour. What is a mental conditioning coach? You know what? It's, it's an interesting field. I, th- I think it's probably been most connected in and around the, the world of uh, sports psychology. But, but essentially, it's, um, you know, the sports world obviously has this discipline called human performance. And human performance really now we, we've kind of known with strength and conditioning uh, nutritional support, um, areas in and around things like yoga and stretching. And then psychologically, you have sort of uh, um, the sports psychology component, which has been typically used to address uh, you know, people who are having challenges, uh, maybe not performing at the highest level. But there, there are a handful of coaches, um, namely in college, led by Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher, uh, Kirby Smart, um, who who use sort of that mental conditioning and sports psychology component to make their really good players better. And then uh, in the NFL, there's a handful of, we, we know of Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins, Russell Wilson, and a handful of programs that also use it uh, proactively, psychologically, um, not when there's a problem, but, but letting their greatness be the impetus for improvement. But it's a very small industry. Uh, that's probably why most people haven't heard much about mental coaching. All right, so then, Trevor, what do you do? Like, what, what, what do you do, whether it's with the coaches or with the quarterbacks? What, what do you do to help their performance? Well, you know, I, I began my experience, uh, Ross, at, um, at IMG Academy. So IMG Academy is about a 600-acre training facility in Bradenton, Florida, um, that uh, was, on a football side, was the birth of NFL combine training. Uh, behind super agents Tom Condon and Ken Kramer. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, we would get 15, 20 guys every year training for the NFL draft. And sort of the origins of mental conditioning for football first started for us in helping get guys ready for the Wonderlick and really the, the, all the psychological testing that would go on with the uh, NFL Combine. Uh, in 2002, Tom Coughlin hired myself and my business partner, Chad Bowling, who's now the director of mental conditioning for the Yankees uh, and the, the mental conditioning consultant for the Cowboys. And really what he wanted us to do was to help really develop a plan in and around how we set goals, the language we communicate with, um, our sort of 
uh, approach towards success, how we sustain it, uh, understanding uh, when we are struggling, why that's happening, really building a plan in and around uh, this idea that we don't need to be sick to get better and that the right mentality is a competitive advantage. So for Russell and I, we would typically meet on a Thursday night. Um, we'll have usually like a seven or eight minute video that will be built around like an ESPN Sports Century or some story. We might study uh, Usain Bolt if we're coming off a loss. We might study a particular loss or a particular win that Joe Montana went through or another player. And then we're really just going to talk about when he's successful, wh where that's coming from and why. And then when we're dealing with different challenges, be it health or the teams we're playing again or just maybe not playing at our highest level, um, where that those challenges came from and the single things that we can do to focus just to get get back on track. So uh, it, it's not uh, it, it's very strategic, I would say, Ross, I would say, Dave. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the way we built it, particularly at Alabama, Florida State, Georgia, was we built the program for everybody. I, I'm not talking about mindfulness, meditation. We don't address positive thinking. That's been a really tough challenge for guys to buy in. We know negative thinking is a multiple of four to seven times more powerful than positive thinking. And when you say something out loud, it's 10 times more powerful than when you think it. So when an athlete is saying negative things out loud about their health or their team or their program, they're increasing the probability that that will happen to them by 40 to 70 times. So what we learned is that if you could just get athletes to stop saying stupid things out loud, you would, you would improve their probability of succeeding uh, by almost 70, 70 times. So you'll never catch Russell complaining about you know, something wrong with his linemen or his receivers, et cetera. Everything about Russell is this idea of neutral, which is solution-based thinking. All right, what can I do this final four minutes? Forget about the first 56 minutes, or I played great the first 56 minutes, but what do I got to do the final four minutes to close this thing out? So Russell Wilson, we're able to see his physical attributes out there on the football field each and every week and have for quite some time. What separates him from other quarterbacks mentally in terms of the work you've done with him? Well, I, I think, again, the, the great question is he doesn't need anybody like me, and yet he's made a commitment. We, we, we call it the aggregate of marginal gains. Now, the aggregate of marginal gains is how do I make micro improvements across everything I'm doing? If I can make an adaptation in the way I sleep, if I can make an adaptation in the way I train in the morning. You know, when I started with uh, Fred Taylor, the running back for, for, for those who, who follow you know, the NFL, Fred, Fred had a nickname which was not a good one, uh, Fragile Fred. And you do not want the name Fragile Fred as a running back. And both, ultimately, Fred would tell me, and, and Chad in 2002, he said, I just want to play 16 games. And you guys both know in the National Football League, it's hard to do that. Um, and, and the, the league is best about, you know, less about accountability and responsibility and it's more about dependability. And when, it, you know, when we talked to Fred, uh, he, uh, you know, we said, what do you think it's going to take to do that? He wasn't sure. Well, the first thing we did was take two or three days and there were 18 players on the Jaguars team that were into their third contract. And when they got into their third contract, um, Hey brother, what's up, man? I got a good friend of mine just walked in, Lawrence, Lawrence, Lawrence Frank. Um, and uh, and uh, hey, thanks so much, Coach. And uh, so, so when, we, uh, when we started with Fred at that point, um, we studied those 18 guys and we found that there were two things in common that they did. Number one, every player showed up before 6.30 in the morning. 
and every player at the end of the day uh, got on uh, an ice bath. And so when we decided, all right, Fred, you really want to play 16 games in a row? Then this is what we're going to do. We're going to get to the training facility before 630 in the morning, and we're going to take an ice bath at the end of every day. That was the starting point. And ultimately, Fred would make that commitment and play 46 games in a row and end his career uh, with over 11,000 yards. Um, so it, it's, it's doing simple better, and it's the little things in football that are going to make the difference, and it's the marginal gains. So for Russell, Russell's commitment to his body is, is like nothing you've ever seen. His commitment to his physiology is like nothing you've ever seen. Um, and then that feeds his confidence. It's not some fake words. Uh, but it's the belief that I've done everything I can and the way he studies film on Monday, third downs on Tuesday, trick plays on Wednesday, just all the different types of things. He knows he's done everything and then he never externalizes negativity and he stays what we call incredibly neutral. So, um, And he doesn't, like I said, he's not waiting for problems to improve. So, uh, question. You, guys are, like, you guys are like, what is this thing, man? Like, what well, this is like the weirdest thing I've been hearing. But it sounds pretty basic, doesn't it? <laughs> No, it well, does to a couple me. things. One is when I was playing, uh, they had sports psychologists or whatever they call them um, came in to a, a couple different teams I played for. Um, and I got to be honest with you, and maybe it's different than what you do, Trevor, but I was skeptical and, and maybe maybe it didn't have a positive impact on me because I was skeptical. But um, I have found out after the fact how much they were paying these guys to come in. And it was like, I think we would like look at the guy next to us and say, I believe in you. And I, and I believe that you're going to make a play. And like, I, I, to be honest, yeah. and I don't tell me how different what you, what it sounds like you're doing is a lot different than that. Cause I thought that was full of crap, to be honest with you, what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. I think mental conditioning is an interesting way to describe it because to me, it just sounds like you're um, almost like a consultant with these guys and you go over different ways that they can get incrementally better, which makes sense. I don't know if I would call that mental yeah. conditioning. Maybe I'm missing something, but it sounds yeah. very different than my exposure to like sports psychologists. Well, you know, that's probably been the biggest challenge for the field. The consumer is really confused. And, and so you have so many variations of it. And it's a tough industry to get into because even if you went to Harvard uh, to study sports psychology, most likely the professor never got to work with any athletes because most teams don't work with athletes. So, you know, that professor would not have really any practical experience. If it wasn't for, you know, starting to work for, for the best agents in football in 2000, 2001, and having that opportunity and getting the experience and going with Tom Coughlin and getting with Fred Taylor – then ultimately going to the Dolphins in 2006 and then joining Coach Saban at Alabama in 2007. And I would always do 25, 30 days a year. It was really more education, Ross. So like, if you think about it, um, you know, I went to an Occidental College undergrad and graduate. I was a basketball and a soccer player. Um, and I was a, a teacher in L.A. Unified School District. And so as we would build out the psychological architecture for these programs, you needed to have um, something when somebody was having a problem, but we wanted to have something this, I'll, I'll never forget one of the things that really stood out to me from the, the early origins of, of meeting coach Saban. I want to have a program that makes sense for everybody. And what we found out is I believe in you. I care about you. 
uh, I love you, uh, y- you know, um, love is the reason for the fight. I mean, a lot of the things that, that there's some power to it, it's just very difficult for most guys to get on board with that. But the simple fact of the matter is if you present the data, that negative thinking, particularly the articulation of it, increases the probability that what you don't want to happen will happen by 40 to 70 times. You guys remember Billy Buckner, the baseball player? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so, so Billy Buckner, and, and many people don't know, 12 days before the World Series in 86, does an interview where he says, you know, my worst fear would be to let the game-winning run score on a ground ball through my legs. And we, and we have that interview, and we show our players exactly what happened. And by saying that out loud, it didn't make it happen, but it increased the probability by 40 to 70 times that it would happen. So by just not saying that out loud, by not saying, I hate playing in the heat, I can't stand play, you know, whatever, God dang, why do we have to play in Detroit again? Or whatever, just by learning how to not say dumb things out loud, if you were never were positive, if you just were never positive, but you didn't externalize negative, it would change your life. And one of the things that I found out in 18 years working with some of the best athletes in the world is it's not what they do that makes the difference in their career. It's what they're willing not to do, what they're willing not to say, what they're willing not to eat, what they're willing not to watch. So if Ross is telling, you know, the, the way I would present the program and some of the people I work with that present the program if Ross was like, you know, this is this is crap. I don't believe in it. It would be like Ross saying the world is flat or I don't really believe in that gravity thing, you know, and, and like we don't see gravity. I but I studied gravity in 10th grade, but gravity affected me before I study it. So we just give a basic line. This this is how the this is how the brain works. This is our process. This is how when we say it out loud, we do a lot of video. We do a lot of education. And then the program is built around studying all right, Drake has 13 number one songs. Why? What is he willing to do? Does uh, 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 Michael Johnson became number one in the world from 1989 to 2001. What did he do? Why did he wear gold shoes in 1996? So if we're entering the season with, with really high expectations, we're, we're studying Michael Johnson and, and understanding with the 200 400 meter why he did that. And then Michael's a good friend of mine. Then I'm going to get Michael to spend time with Russell to also talk with him about looking at pressure as a privilege and seeing pressure um, as as an ally, not an enemy. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're just it, it's strategy, really, more than uh, than hokiness. At least for me. Talking with uh, talking with Trevor Moad from Moad Consulting Group and the author of It Takes What It Takes. I think about this stuff all the time, quite frankly, because as a parent. I'm consumed by the mental side of it. My wife asked me the other day, how do you account for the the best few games our son, our 11-year-old son has ever had? It's been one in football, one in basketball, one in baseball. And I said, that's the easiest thing for me to answer because mentally he was in the best place and I could see that. Now, I have no idea how to recreate that. A lot of us can't afford your services. How can we apply these principles in everyday life and how can parents uh, use these principles with their kids. Well, this is what I would say, and, and, and you know, and you have this show, and then I've seen your show with uh, Christine Roman, uh, Romans, or when when Kaylee and different people have been on you, uh, or with you. One of the things that the the biggest thing I would say is watch what you say out loud, because words predict and perpetuate performance. So so again, 
whether you believe in the power of positive thinking, there's, 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 it's a lot of the data is anecdotal. Nobody can prove that. But the Mayo Clinic, Cleveland Clinic, everybody can prove that negative thinking and the articulation of negative things uh, increases the probability that will happen. So we're not talking about living in a fantasy world, but we're talking about there's no reason for you to compete against your own language. So watch what you say. And then the second thing is behavior, not emotion, determines your success. So this idea of neutral thinking is that the past isn't predictive. So if I had a bad game or a bad show or something didn't go well for me, I own that. That's true. And we don't want athletes to run away and pretend that that didn't happen. But we also want to know that, okay, if Ross is cynical and Ross is skeptical, no matter what Ross is, he still has to recognize that if it's the end of the third quarter, the fourth quarter hasn't happened yet, so it could be different. But feelings isn't going to change the fourth quarter. Behavior is. Down 28-3 with 10 minutes to go in the third quarter in Super Bowl 51, Brady's not talking about winning. He's not talking about anything other than how about we start showing some fight? How about you drop your pad length? How about you explode with your hands? How about we play Patriot football? Whether you, whether you believe in anything or not, what he's asking them to do is change their behavior, not think about a 25-point play. I think the second thing is success leaves clues. So we would call when you do have a good game, start to understand why you had a good game. And most likely it wasn't that your wife fed your son a special type of Wheaties, but most likely there were some things he did and it wasn't a look in his eye. It might have been how he slept, how he warmed up. We would call that as we evaluate players for the draft, conscious competency. When you're good, knowing why you're good. And also when you weren't good, understanding why you weren't good. You know, and I think that that's important. That's why, and, and, uh, you know, when Russell threw the interception in the second Super Bowl, I never worried about that defining him because he'd always been clutch going from high school, college to the NFL. And he evaluated it on a Tell the Truth Monday with Coach Carroll. Went through, okay, this, we did this, this, and this. That happened. I understand why it happened. I take accountability for it. Okay, there's not going to be another game for a while. All right, I'm going to focus on having a great offseason. He follows up that season, 35 touchdowns, seven picks, the best career, uh, best year of his career, because he focused on what he was going to do, not how he felt about what had happened. Does that, does that make sense? I'm in. I'm all in, man. I think Ross is a little more skeptical, but I'm convinced. Well, now, I mean, no, here's my, here's, here's my question, yeah. Trevor. So what year did you start working with Russell? Um, so he was one of 35 guys that came down to uh, Bradenton to train for the draft. So the first time I went head to head, I was the mental coach at Florida state. So, uh, he put 500 yards on us, but Christian Ponder beat him. And then he beat us at NC state. But uh, I started with Russell before his NFL career started. So January, 2012, uh, as we were getting ready for the Senior Bowl. Got it. Okay, so because my question was, because I met him at the Rookie Symposium yep. back in 2012, whatever the year that was, and I yeah. was unbelievably impressed by him Yeah. Um, in every way. So I guess part of me was wondering, like, okay, if you started to work with him like three or four years ago, how much of it is what you've done to help him and how much of it is just he is that unique i mean i think that next year trevor i called a game for fox yeah or maybe it was in the radio and i'm on the field i'm walking off and he like comes up to me 
and he's like, hey, I just want to say hi, Ross. I was like, oh, hi, Russell. Like, I didn't even know he knew my name. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was just like, like, he's unbelievably impressive. So I guess in my mind, I'm wondering, okay, how much of that is just who Russell Wilson is? How much of that's with Trevor's help? And by the way, we could talk all, we can go on and on about this because maybe the fact that he's that impressive and believes in you that much, maybe that's enough. Or can you make the argument that even if what you're doing, Trevor, specifically doesn't help the guys that much, even if they just believe that it does, that's all that matters? Well, first of all, he was that imp- he would be that impressive if he never met me. So the, so the same way you were, the first time I met him, the first 10 minutes, you're like, is this guy for real? This is incredible. So he's always been that way. And, and so I believe that the psychological piece helps a, a, an athlete or a program three to 5%. So, so I would never say I'm the game changer in a career or sports psychology is a game changer in a career, particularly in a sport like football, where 80% of your success comes from your physiology how big you are, how fast you are, how strong you are. And then a lot of it comes from your studying and your knowledge. And then part of it is just all really my job is to do is to just help take that greatness that he already has, that we already came from the gifts he had from his father, uh, you know, Harrison uh, Wilson and his brother and, and his mom and coming from a very successful family and just, just challenging it to keep finding its next level. And so... Um, there's nothing that we would teach Ross. Like if you were, if you were in, let's say our summer program at Georgia, where we do with our lifting and our seven on seven, we do this mindset element, um, 45 minutes each week. There's nothing about it that you could debate. All we're doing is studying why great players are great. We're looking at certain players that were can't miss guys that missed and we're studying their behavior. You know, uh, one of the, the stories I heard was about a guy who was 11 years old and he's sitting in his house and his dad walks in and tells him to mow the lawn if he feels like it today. The dad walks out and uh, five minutes later, the kid's 11 years old. He doesn't mow the lawn. Then the dad walks in the room and says, and by the way, make sure you feel like it today. You can make yourself feel like doing anything by just doing it. And to me, the National Football League, we're only... 28% of the guys are making it to a fourth year is aptitude matters. But for the most part, it's your behavior. Do you do the things that good players do? So Fred Taylor's cheer career changed when he started behaving like Donovan Darius and getting there at 630 in the morning and doing ice baths at the end. And that's all we talked about. You know, are you doing the things that good running backs do? So I'm not talking about, uh, I love myself and, um, I'm the best in the world and all those things. Now, is there a component for designing like a psychological ad campaign in the same way Nike created the slogan, just do it? There's value in and around that thing. Uh, but I believe if you just don't say dumb things out loud, you start to understand why other people are successful and you start to mirror their behaviors with your own and you, you focus on using the gifts you have and don't worry. Hey, if I'm not 6'4 and I'm 5'10", then I got to be the best 5'10 version I am. Or, or Dave's son has a, a good baseball game, football game, basketball game. What are the things he's doing? Is he going dribbling to the right side? Is it more to the left side? Is he dropping his butt to the baseline? Is he rebounding? Is he boxing out? Those are all things that are repeatable 
rather than a look in the eye is less repeatable. Does that make sense? It does, but you know, it's a lot of it to me. I can see it without whether it's dribble right, dribble left, swing this way. It's puffing your chest out. <coughs> it's being confident. It's believing you're the best player on that field. Sometimes I see it. Sometimes I don't. Every parent I know, we talk on the sidelines, they see the same thing. I think you've got another industry to conquer. And after the, you're done with the NFL, youth sports, you know, I mean, you, the, the, the cases you could treat are endless. He's Trevor Moad. The uh, book is It Takes What It Takes. It's Moad Consulting Group. I'm in, brother. Send me that book. Uh, I am all in on the techniques. Good to talk to you, my friend. Great to talk to you guys. Have an incredible week. Thanks so much, Ross and uh, Dave, for the opportunity to jump on with you guys. Thanks, right, Trevor. Buddy, enjoy, the, enjoy the beach until uh, Mr. Frank, we say hello, president of the basketball operations for the Clippers, I believe, who's just hanging out there. All right, man, thank you. So, Ross, are you convinced a little bit? Because, I mean, I, I probably think about the mental side far too much because I, I'm obsessed with it as far as youth sports. I can see when a kid's going to have a bad at bat. I can see when they're going to have a good at bat. It is so much how they carry themselves that particular day or the confidence that they have or don't have in any given situation. You know what's interesting, Dave? Uh, I'm, I'm going up to, uh, to West Point today for a college yeah. football game on Saturday for CBS Sports Network, and my mom is coming up with me. And I got to tell you, I am a believer, Dave, that I'm a very confident person. And to your point, you hearing are. you talk about your son, I think it's almost entirely my mom. And right or wrong, she really gave me a lot of confidence growing up. My sister and I laugh about it. My wife laughs about it at times. Uh, but I think that there's something to what you said. I mean, like... My sister jokes that when she got to kindergarten, she walked in and couldn't believe all the other kids didn't come over and say, Bryn, Bryn, like you're here. Like, she's like, I'm here, Bryn Tucker, I'm here. <laughs> like my mom made us extremely confident. And I think there's no question that it, it helped for sports. No doubt in my mind. It helped for everything in life, public speaking. Um, being on the radio, yeah. sports, like, um, and maybe that's the answer. Maybe just from birth, tell your kids that they're the greatest thing ever. Uh, I don't know, but I, I, I thank her for it all the time. And I try to give my daughters that same level of confidence. So um, I, I like that guy because I like the incremental growth stuff that he was talking about. He's hired, didn't even need to go to ZipRecruiter. I just went to trevormoad.com or wherever you find him. He said it. You said it. You got the book. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. How about this, listeners, viewers? How about getting marginally better with how you go about actually finding the right people for your job with the right experience? That is what ZipRecruiter does. They've got the candidate rating feature to filter applicants. So you can focus on the most relevant ones. They also are able to have four out of five employers post on ZipRecruiter, get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com. 
ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I would love to hire a mental conditioning coach. Ross, I don't have your natural confidence. I, I know it may seem like I do. A lot of days I really lack for confidence. And I, I do believe that mental conditioning coaches could help all of us. To your point, it's not just athletes. It's not just pro athletes, kids. I think any walk of life could be helped by, by a little bit of mental conditioning. I am all in on Trevor Moad. Tomorrow we're going to talk to Kevin Millar. From the MLB Network, host of Intentional Talk about Game 3 of the World Series. Is this thing over? Remember, he picked the Astros, said they were a huge favorite in this series. We'll also find out what is fandom like in D.C. right now. One of the fans who really got the baby shark theme going at Nationals Park, he'll be wearing a full shark suit. We'll see you on Friday. For Ross Tucker, I'm Dave Briggs. Have a great day. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.